Uh, I want to begin this morning with a bit of a praise song quiz, right? So I'll give you the lyrics, and uh, you need to give me the title of the song and the artist if you can. Uh, just write down your answers first and see if you can get them all right. Now, I'll give you a hint, they're all smack songs, right? So number one, all my days I will sing this song of gladness, give my praise to the fountain of delights. Got it? I thought we'd start easy, yeah? Second one's fairly easy, shout to the Lord all the earth. Let us sing power and majesty, praise to the king. Mountains bow down, the seas will roar at the sound of your name. Got that one? All right, let's go for some harder ones. Number three, praise the Lord, my soul rejoice. Praise the Lord, his heavenly host. For as high as heaven is above the earth, so great his love for me. What song is that? All right, and then the final one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship your holy name. What's that one? All right, let's put up the answers, see if you got them all right. So, of course, Beautiful Saviour, we just sang that. Shout to the Lord by Hillsong. The next one is called Psalm 103, actually. It's by Emu Music. And the last one, 10,000 Reasons. Anyone get all four? No one. Yvonne, that's why you're the music director. <laughs> well done. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, praising God with a joyful and thankful heart lies very close to the center of the Christian experience. As Christians, we serve a God who is worthy to be praised. We serve a God to whom we owe a debt of thanks. We serve a God who has done great things for us. And yet I find that uh, Christians tend to struggle to put the experience of praise in its rightful place. So in some churches, the singing of praise has taken on such an enormous significance that practically the whole gathering is taken up with singing uh, ceaseless praise, endlessly repeating the chorus, uh, stirring up the emotions till, till you're almost overwhelmed by the experience of being in God's presence with his people. Now, some, such churches are criticized by some people. The word of God, they might say, is being neglected. Emotions are being manufactured. The praise is just purely subjective. It, it lacks any theological substance to it. On the other hand, some churches will overreact in the other direction. And there's lots of knowledge of God, and there's lots of study of the Bible, but there's no emotion, and there's no heartfelt praise. You know, it's hands by the side. It's uh, try to sing the song without letting any, any sound come out of your mouth. Seek to look as bored as possible, right, until you can sit down for the real part of the service, the sermon. I wonder which of those uh, extremes that uh, you tend towards, uh, that we tend towards this morning. Well, why do we praise? How do we praise? And we're given a wonderful chapter here of Scripture to think this through carefully. Well, we're at uh, 1 Chronicles 16, and uh, we remember that the author's aim in writing this book is he wants to, to rouse us up to seek God's kingdom. Uh, we've had the reminder in chapters 1 to 9 of, of, of God's faithfulness 
to his covenant people. They belong to him. They might be small, but they are his people. Chapters 10 to 12, we've, we've seen that the Davidic king is the right king for God's people. And whoever we are, whether great or small, we are to rally to him and live under his rule. And last week in chapters 13 to 15, we began to see what the ideal kingdom will look like as King David takes the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing God's presence and his rule, and he brings it to Jerusalem as a sign that he is the real king of God's people. It's a climactic moment. And here in chapter 16, we see that it is so climactic that all of God's people come together in universal praise to God. Now, as uh, we've come to expect in the book of uh, Chronicles, this chapter once again has a chiastic, circular structure to it. So, verses 1 to 3, David blesses Israel. It parallels the final verse, David blesses his household. Verses 4 to 7, the Levites are appointed for worship at Jerusalem, and that matches verse 37 to 42. Again, the Levites uh, and the priests appointed for worship. And then in the middle, we have this marvelous song psalm of praise. And so as that structure reveals, the heart of this chapter is the praise with which the King David leads his people. This is the theme of our chapter this morning. God deserves the joyful proclamation of his praise among all nations. God deserves the joyful proclamation of his praise among all nations. Well, let's begin then point, uh, point one, and the chapter that begins and ends with David's blessing. Uh, now, these verses are lifted straight from 2 Samuel 6, but here in, in Chronicles, they're divided in half, with a couple at the beginning and then one at the end. And, and essentially what we see in these verses is a celebration of a restored relationship with God. Let Look with me at verse 1. They brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of Raisins. And so this renewed relationship with God, with him at the center as their king and ruler, is pictured by these offerings, the burnt offerings and then the peace offerings, a symbol of fellowship that they have with God. And then that's followed by this fellowship meal as all of God's people feast together in his presence. And it is a feast. David not only gives out bread, but he's giving out meat and cake as well. There's even dessert for this meal. The chapter ends in the same way in verse 43. Everyone departs to his home. David goes home to bless his household. He blesses the nation, then he blesses his house. The point is unmissable. When God's king makes God present among his people, there is blessing. It's as if God's king is mediating God's blessing to his people here. He, he's bringing them into fellowship with God. And that, that fellowship, that, that blessing is, is seen in this great feast in which all of God's people share. God blesses his people. Now, point two then, permanently 
permanent priestly praise. The second thing David does is make plans for God's praise to be a permanent fixture in Israel. Now, back in chapter 15, you remember, as they carried the ark to Jerusalem, David had appointed the Levites to bring up the ark along the way. Now David decides to make their ministry permanent. So in verse 4 we read, He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, second to him Zechariah, Jael, Shemiroth, Jehiel, Mattatiah, Eliab, Beniah, Obed-Edom, Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And Beniah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. Now, notice what these Levites are appointed to do. They are to lead in praise. They are to invoke. They are to thank. They are to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. David considers that the Lord is, is so worthy of praise that he makes arrangements for this to happen day and night. And notice all the instruments that are used in the praise here, right? David's got the full band out, the harps, the lyres, the cymbals, the trumpets. Asaph is apparently, uh, you know, the percussionist. And uh, you just happen to think then of the, of the conservative brethren that are out there that say that playing music is wrong for all Christians. We should only sing songs a cappella. Or you think of the Christians that say you should only use a particular instrument in church like an organ, definitely no drums. But David's got the full band out for worship, doesn't he? The drums included, the cymbals as well. Now in verses 37 to 43, we once again see the arrangements that David makes for worship before the ark. Now, now, we've, now we've, we've seen the worship uh, before the ark, the singing. Now we shift to Gibeah, where the tabernacle is, uh, is still standing. Even though the ark's been moved, the tabernacle has been left behind at Gibeah. And then he, appro he, he appoints priests to continue in their sacrificial ministry there. And so we read in verse 37, David left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the ark as each day required. Also Obed-Edom, his 68 brothers, well, Obed-Edom, the son of Jehuda and Hosea were to be the gatekeepers. And he left Zadok, the priest, and his brothers, the priests, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offerings regularly, morning and evening, to do all that is written in the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. And, and so I think this is a reminder then of the holiness of God. They're still offering the sacrifices and it's a reminder that God is still holy and sin still deserves punishment. And it's only because of, sac of sacrifice that God can dwell in the midst of his people. But once again, we circle back to the musical arrangements in verse 41. This is the real focus. With them were Heman and Jehudan and the rest of those chosen and expressly named to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Heman and Jehudan had trumpets and cymbals for the music and instruments for sacred song. The sons of Jehudan were appointed to the gate. So once again, David is making provision for permanent praise, not only before the ark, 
but now also before the tabernacle as well. David intends to make sure that God is thanked again and again and again, morning and night, for his steadfast love that endures forever. In David's mind, God's love is so wonderful and so great and so enduring that we should praise God for it again and again and again and again. And that love is seen as God takes up his dwelling amongst sinful people, as he draws into fellowship with them. It's a wonderful picture. Permanent praise. Well, we turn now to point three in the substance of praise. And in verses 8 to 36, right in the center of this chapter, we're given the content of what that praise was. And here David meshes together three psalms which he appoints Asaph and the singers to sing. Uh, you can see on the screen, verse 8 to 22, uh, we see the substance of praise. And this is Psalm 105. Then in verses 23 to 33, uh, we see the scope of praise, and it's now Psalm 96. And then finally, uh, we have in verse 34 to 36, sorry, the second one's Psalm 103, I've got that wrong. Right? Uh, so, and then the third one, uh, verse 34 to 36, taken from Psalm 96, we see the source of praise. So let's look at them one by one. The substance of praise. Well, what is it that we are to praise God for? Uh, it's interesting that biblical praise always has a content to it. It's, it's never just saying, look, I praise you, I praise you, I praise you, I love you, I praise you, hallelujah, I praise you. It's never like that in the Bible, ever. Uh, true biblical praise always has a content to it. It always in involves speaking of the reasons why God is worthy of praise. And so we see this in verse 8 to 13. We are to praise God for his wondrous deeds. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works he's done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. So this psalm calls on us to thank God for what he's done for his people. It says, look back, see all the great things he's done, be amazed at those things, praise him, think of his reputation, think of his name. Praise him. And in response, seek him. Verse 11 says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember his wondrous works. So remember, seek, praise for what he's done. Well, as the psalm goes on, the attention shifts to God's faithfulness to his promises. Verse 14 he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed as a statute to Jacob, as an everlasting covenant to Israel, 
saying to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And so this psalm looks back now to the amazing promises that God made to his people in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12. The promise to be their God and they would be his people. The promise that they would dwell in his presence. The, the, the promise that uh, he would bless them and bless all nations through them. They are to look back uh, and David sees as the ark is carried into Jerusalem that God has been faithful to his promises. It's all happened just as God said that he would. And, and twice here this, this covenant is, is described as an eternal covenant. A, a covenant that will never fail because God is always faithful. So praise God for his wondrous deeds. Praise God for his faithfulness to his covenant. And then finally verse 19 to 22. Praise God for his loving protection. Verse 19, when you were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. And so the psalm now takes us back to that, that time before Israel entered the promised land as they're, uh, as they're wandering about in the wilderness. And, and God in his love had protected them from their enemies. Though they were, they were small, though they were few, though they were vulnerable, he kept them safe. He brought them into the land. He chose this small people to love rather than these great nations around them. So great was his steadfast love for them. Praise God for his wondrous works. Praise God for his faithfulness to his covenant. Praise God for his loving protection. And it's very clear that in quoting this psalm here in 1 Chronicles, the chronicler really does intend to inspire his readers to make these songs their own. Uh, he makes two little changes here to make that, that really clear. So if you look at verse 13, he changes the original, which was, O descendants of Abraham, to, O descendants of Israel. He's focusing on them as a nation. And then in verse 19, he changes it from when they were but few, and he changes it when you were but few. He wants to see that this is what God is doing for them. That the chronicler records this great psalm of praise for his wondrous works and his covenant faithfulness and his, his loving protection to encourage his people in this, in this time in which they're struggling to continue to seek the Lord, to continue to seek his presence, to continue to praise his name. Now, he records it in hope that they will praise him in the same way, that they will see God's wondrous works for them. He's brought them out of Babylon and he's brought them home, that they would see God's covenant faithfulness to them. Even after the exile, now they're still in the promised land, that they would recognize God's loving protection as they're just a small people surrounded by these great superpowers and yet despite how few they are they are loved by God. He wants to inspire his present generation to praise God and that praise always had substance. Praise him for what he's done. Praise him for who he is, faithful 
praise him for his loving protection. Now, I wonder if this model ought to uh, shape the kinds of songs that we want to sing in churches. That even as we sing praise to God, we always remember why we praise him. We praise him for his wondrous deeds. We praise him for his faithful promises. We praise him for his loving protection. Not just, I love you, I love you, I love you. Well, that's the substance of praise. Uh, secondly, we see the scope of praise. And now we're in verse 23 to 33. Uh, the next psalm is also recorded for us in full from Psalm 96. And this psalm is a celebration of God's kingship and worldwide reign that leads to a call for worldwide worship. Let's have a look at verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation day by day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So this psalm is an enthusiastic summons to proclaim God's kingship to all of the world. And the reason is given in verses 25 to 27 here. It is that God alone is the true God. He is the one who reigns in splendor and majesty. The world worships idols. The world worships things that can't talk or speak. The world worships false gods that are products of human imagination. Uh, it doesn't matter what they are, whether they're, they're, they're Buddha or the Hindu gods or the God of Islam or money or success or reputation or, or family or whatever they are. The world worships its idols. But God is the true God who creates the world with the world, who rules the world in splendor and majesty. And it is because there is only one God in this world, not many gods, each country has their own God. The call must go out to every person in every nation to worship him alone and no other gods. And so the call goes out in verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. They shall, then shall, shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. And so the call goes out, not only for, for all the nations to worship the Lord, but indeed all of creation will rise up to worship God in his majesty. And what we see here is that is then that praise is not just about singing songs. And it's not just about singing songs in church. Praise here is about declaring God's, God's glory to the world. It's about telling others of what he's done and who he is, that they too will join in the universal worship 
of the Lord. The scope of praise here is, is universal. There's only one true God. He deserves the praise from all people. And so we are to go out and proclaim, the Lord reigns. The Lord will judge. Give him the glory due his name. The scope of praise, universal. And finally, the source of praise, verse 34 to 36. Now we have our final psalm, this time Psalm 106. And this time it's not the whole psalm, it's just the beginning and the end. Verse 34 is the first verse of the psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Verses 35 and 36 are the end of the psalm. Save us, O our God of our salvation. Gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Now, in the original psalm, if you look it up, between these verses at the beginning and the end is a very long and sorry confession of Israel's history of sin. It goes through step by step how they've rejected God's rule again and again, despite all that he's done for them, how he gr they grumbled in the wilderness and they, they worshipped a golden calf and they refused to enter the promised land and they refused to conquer the nations in the promised land and they joined in worshipping the pagan gods and sacrificing their own children and, 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 and sinned again and again and again until God sent them off into exile in his judgment. But the quote is just the beginning and the end. And by doing that, the Chronicle is not denying that Israel has this long history of failure. And the audience, his audience will know that. But what he's doing is placing their focus firmly and squarely, not on their sin, but on the God who saves, on his steadfast love, his salvation. What is the decisive act that will lead people to praise God among the nations? It's there in verse 35, isn't it? It's experiencing his rescue. Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. The source of praise is salvation. As God rescues his people, they respond to that salvation in joyful, thankful praise for what he's done for them. The source of praise is salvation. And this is a magnificent collection of, of psalms to sing, isn't it? And not only in David's time, not only in the Chronicles' time, it's a great collection for all future generations of God's people. We can all look back on the wondrous deeds God has done. We can all look back on his faithfulness to his promises. We can look back to his loving protection. We can celebrate his kingship. We can look to his salvation and in response to all of that he has done for us, respond in joyful, thankful praise, declaring his praise to all nations. It's no wonder that they respond in that verse 36. All the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. All of God's people are united in praising God's name. Well, how do we apply this psalm today?
we learn in, the psalm, uh, in this chapter that God is worthy of praise. He is worthy of it continually. He is worthy of it universally. We see that praise involves proclaiming who he is and what he's done. We see that praise involves calling on others to do the same. But we know that the joy here in Jerusalem in David's day, as great as it was, it was only temporary. And God's dwelling amongst his people, as wonderful as it was on that day, it was only going to be temporary. By the chronicler's day, the glory days of David were long gone. There was no king. There was no longer any ark. But the chronicler looks back to the glory days of David to find a picture of an even greater worship that will come one day to inspire his people to, to rise up and worship. They are to look for a greater salvation that will be found in a greater Jerusalem when a greater king comes to bring God's presence among his people and brings another great banquet when God's people feast with him and the praise and thanksgiving never end. And of course, Jesus is that greater David. He is the rightful king who establishes the praise of his people. He is our mediator who establishes God's presence among us. He is our worship leader who enables and inspires our praise. He is that true temple. He is the Emmanuel. He is God come to dwell amongst us. He is, as John chapter 1 puts it, the word became flesh. He, he dwelt among us. He's tabled among us. Jesus came and showed us God in his majesty and love and his holiness. We see in Jesus Christ God's steadfast love that endures forever as he goes to the cross, as he takes the punishment for our sins in our place. Romans says God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we can look back on the wondrous works of the Lord. We can look back on his teaching and his compassion and his miracles. And we can look back on his death for our sins. We can look back to his glorious resurrection as our Saviour and King. We can look back to his presence among us and the salvation that he's brought us and his rule and all of these things ought to fuel our praise as well. We have something much greater to give thanks to God for than David's time or the chronicler's time. And of course we look forward to the, to the perfect day when, when, when the praise of 1 Chronicles 16 is, is fulfilled in its perfection. Because one day King Jesus will return. He will bring us to that, to that new Jerusalem. He will gather together people from every tribe and nation and language. We will join together praising God, praising Him eternally for who He is and what He's done. We'll praise Him for His steadfast love that endures forever. Now, we see a wonderful picture of that in that New Testament reading from Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4, you see God on His throne. There's seven uh, spirits of God are there. It's God's direct presence. 
The four living creatures are there, symbolizing all of creation. The 24 elders are there, symbolizing all of God's people. And they gather and they give God the praise continually. They give Him honor and glory and praise and thanks. And in Revelation 5, we see that chorus of praise ringing out to the Lamb of God as well, who sits on the throne. First, it's the four living creatures and the elders. We read verse 9. I keep going. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. And then joined to the living creatures and the elders comes the voices of innumerable angels. They sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then we come to the climax. And in verse 13 we see that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them now shouts out in praise to the Lord Jesus, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And just like in Chronicles, the call, the, 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 the call goes out, Amen. And they bow down and worship. That's where history is headed. The Lord Jesus, our Saviour and King, and God His Father will receive eternal, universal praise from all of creation. And so if you are a brother, uh, if you are a Christian here this morning, brother and sister in Christ, this is our future. We are going to praise God eternally. We will dwell with Him forever. And forevermore, we will look back on what he's done. We will remember his faithfulness. And as we share in that heavenly banquet that he provides for us, we will join with all creation and we will praise him day and night forevermore. Now, of course, that glorious future has implications for us now. Firstly, we should declare his praise universally now. That's what the psalm encourages us to do. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation day by day. Declare among the nations his marvelous works among all peoples. The gods of the nations are idle, worthless idols. The Lord made the heavens. So Jesus commands us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. We've been sent out to declare his praise to the nations, to declare the Lord reigns. We can take the words of this psalm and make them our own as we, as we go to our campus and as we go to our workplace and as we go to our families and friends and our community and our country and the world. As we go, we, we say to the people we meet, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. We invite people universally to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we, we, we praise not only when we gather here on Sunday in the church building. We praise as we go out this week and declare to the world what He's done. 
And secondly, we praise, we are to declare God's praises continually. Remember what David did. He, he appoints Asaph and the other, other Levites as singers who would praise him day and night. They might continually declare his praises. And, and we too are to have God's to, uh, to declare God's praises continually in our lives. Again, not, not only when we gather on a Sunday, but as we live every moment, we are to do so in thankfulness for what God has done and for his glory. We read of this in Colossians 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we're to do everything to the glory of God. We are to do everything in thanksgiving for what he's done for us. Our lives are to be one continuous expression of thanksgiving and praise before God. Whether we're changing the diapers or we're caring for the elderly parents, whether we're loving our spouse or our children, whether we're seeking to be a light in our workplace or our campus, whether we're eating at the restaurant or we're off playing badminton or whatever we are doing, our lives are to declare the glory of God and our thanksgiving to him. We declare God's praises continually, and indeed we will declare his praises eternally. Every time we meet as God's people, we foreshadow that heavenly reality to come. As we play with our drums and our guitars, or our organs, or our flutes, or whatever instrument we choose, as we join our voices, we sing God's praises in anticipation of that day when we would do so with all of God's people. And of course, every time we eat the Lord's Supper, we remember the death of Jesus in our place. As we share that meal together, we look forward with joy to the day when King Jesus will feed us that great heavenly banquet when we will eat in his presence forever and ever. Our gatherings here at church are an anticipation of that great and final day. The message of this chapter is that God deserves the joyful proclamation of his praise among all nations. God deserves praise universally. He deserves it continually. He deserves it eternally because of what he has done and because of who he is. So as we go out this week, will we declare the praises of our king among the nations as we wait for his return? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that Jesus, your Son, came to dwell amongst us. God, 
in human flesh. We thank you that in him we see your steadfast love and your faithfulness and your loving care. Father, we thank you for the salvation that he's brought us. We thank you for the kingdom he's established. And Lord, in response to what you've done for us, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We pray that you would use us to declare this praise universally to all nations. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be in your immediate presence. and We will praise you forevermore with all of your people and feast with you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name.